City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. You're listening to City Limits, and that was a new one from David Rovix. And we have a very, very full studio today. We have Kev, we have Emma, we have John. We're all going to be... And you. And me. I forgot to mention that bit. Yes. Yes. And we're all going to be talking about transport today. We are indeed. It's the first one of the year. We're about to pour the tea very shortly for the first time in the studio this year. And uh, if anyone says it's great to be back, they won't get a cup of tea because no one ever means that. Uh, <laughs> oh, did, I, did I back announce that? Back, back announce we're uh, not great to be back. Uh, the song. Uh, the song. Oh. David Rovix, it's a new one. It's called Landlord. And it, it's got my vote because I hate landlords. And he, right. wrote it, he wrote it after he was evicted from his apartment. Fantastic. <laughs> he wrote it in a state of emotion. You see, that's that's the that's the wrong way to write these things. He, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he should learn to he should learn to love his landlord. Yes. Um, yes. Yes, that's right. Um, but it is city limits first Wednesday. It's the first one of the year. John McPherson, therefore, is here on transport. We've got Emma Warren back. Emma, welcome back. Hello, thank yes, you. And, and Corey, welcome back as well. Thank and, you. Uh, we, we all are. And uh, transport today. We're going to be talking uh, through through the show. John on transport with Dr. John Stone from Melbourne. He's senior lecturer in transport up at Melbourne. Which is terrific. <laughs> yes, and, um, and we're going to be yarning to John about, um, about some research he's done into the real cost of the privatised public transport system. Yeah, that would be very but, interesting. Yes, but also what's happened, of course, is that um, in the last few weeks we've had this massive schmozzle with the country train, so we'll get rid of those as well. Sure, they, yeah. they are definitely worth talking about. Um, Are you sure it was a shamozzle and not a malarkey? Well, one of them. Okay. Yeah, malarkey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, malarkey, I always think of being sort of Irish bullshitting. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that. <laughs> or some treacly thing you put on your toast. Malarkey, okay. We've been to pour the tea, I suppose. We didn't get a cup for you, Corey. Is no, that that's correct? fine. That's that's right. Right. I think shamozzle wins the day. We did get a whole week of. Free public transport. Well, it's still going. They've extended it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then that means so many people are using it, they can't fit on. It's been even more chaos. So so the people who use it every day are feeling really rather aggrieved because they're they're in worse, (laughs) worse worse congestion inside the trains than they used to. Mm. So, do you mean in the last week when I've been touching on my go kart, I've been a sucker? It's just been for V-Line. Oh, V-Line, only V-Line. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 you've still got a... Well, unless you're a pensioner like me, at weekends you get free public transport in the city, but uh, the, uh, the others don't. Well, if you want uh, to ride to the country, but yeah. now's the time to take it. <laughs> can I have a cup, please? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah that's yes, that's oh, right. I'll put it up there for you, yeah. I um, needed it this morning. I didn't have time for any anything before I left the house. I rushed out. <laughs> Nah. Oh, poor John. Oh. So this is my first cup of tea of the morning. Oh. <laughs> poor John. Now, look, a couple. there's been a fair bit happening over the break, of course, but a couple I thought worth looking at just very quickly were, um, you'll be pleased to know, the Herald Sun devoted 
two full pages last Sunday week to the wedding, to the engagement ring that James Pack has given Mariah Carey. $10 million worth, lots of descriptions of it and how they love each other and how he been this very expensive restaurant, he got down on his knee and et cetera, et cetera. He must be getting good at it by now. Yeah, he's had a lot of practice. uh, (laughs) And uh, this is the fourth engagement and third wedding if they ever get down the aisle. Um, But he's obviously a very attractive man like Rupert Murdoch. Yes. (laughs) Rupert's still a newbile, young 80-year-old. That's right. And and Jerry Hall's sorting out her superannuation. But but that's the thing Mariah Carey can't be marrying him for, his money. She must legitimately have some other... She's a girl who really likes likes a good good time. Yeah, anyway, she she has pointed out he has got a lot um, of money. And... um, the, uh, but the bit I really enjoyed was, in another article in the Herald Sun, she came out and said they didn't want the wedding to be a big one because they're both, she did point out, they've both been through this a few times before. It wasn't going to be there first. And she said they would not be having a big wedding, having both been married. We would rather make it beautiful but humble, she said. <laughs> yeah, and right. I, and I, thought, I thought the 35 million two-page display of the ring was probably getting humble off to a pretty big start. I reckon. Well, she should be, of course, donating the ring to charity straight away, shouldn't she? That would be what you that do would if be you were humble. humble. Mm. Yes. <laughs> no, John, no. Wrong, wrong sort of humble. <laughs> Definitely wrong sort of humble. Speaking of Rupert, and of course, he and um, he's an optimist, Rupert, because apparently he said he and Jerry want to buy somewhere close to a school. But anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got to laugh. Good. <laughs> Just having a sip of tea, listener there. Now, listen, you'll be pleased to know that um, someone came out last week, and this whole stuff about Google and tax havens, etc., um, has been attacked. Um, he's attacked Alphabet, which is the Google head company. Google et al. broke no tax laws. Now, having taken account for, uh, for PR purposes, their simple won't work. They need strong new laws to play like the rest of us, this person said. And he also um, carried on about uh, other people who, who don't pay tax and um, et cetera, et cetera. You know who it was? Who? Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was talking in his one true area of so, expertise. Uh, somehow, um, Google not paying tax has got to Rupert, but him not paying tax hasn't got to him at all. No, no. Well, of course, you know, he's like that. Mm-hmm. Normal rules don't apply. Anyway, then uh, the 35 mil might be able to be a bit better better next time he gets engaged, by the way, because there's a new break in terms of saving labour costs. So we're pleased to know there's a company now, in, uh, it's actually got it working in one place, uh, Robot Casino Croupiers. Oh, OK. So you won't have to employ any labour at all. Um, and uh, and this, story, this story from Bloomberg says... And it's a nice start. She has an hourglass figure, an unflappable <laughs> manner, and a friendly face. Meet uh, Min, the robot whose cre- creators say could revolutionise card dealing in the world's uh, casinos. The spelt brunette is a prototype of a human-like electronic croupier, which Paradise Entertainment, a Hong Kong-based gaming machine manufacturer and supplier, says could cut labour costs and open up new markets for casino operators, etc., etc., etc. brave new world. You know, it's bad enough <laughs> that they objectify women, but then when they... What are really objectify women? Obje- objects? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You think it's doing it in reverse. Yeah, she yeah. can't talk back. <laughs> I think she can say Oh, yeah. Oh, well, she probably can. They said awful. she's going to be able to work out the big the big players and be able to empathise with them and all sorts of oh, things. Dear. They're going to, All sorts of things are going to go into really? it, old men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What perfume does she wear? <laughs> Doesn't, uh, John, you, know, you can have a look. You have, it might be in there somewhere. No, 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 no. Uh, one story over the break I really loved. 
speaking, and this this John would uh, is a reflection on you and I, I suspect, rather than the right. other two people in the what, studio. The old codgers. The old codgers. <laughs> there was a. I'm there an was, old codger. There yeah, was, me too. Oh, not this old, I tell you. No, you're not. There <laughs> was a there was a, a robbery, a Hatton Garden gang uh-huh. <laughs> in Britain. All these old blokes who for years had been you know armed robbers and and hoisters and things and spent lots of time in jail decided to do this this big. This big show, knock up a safe deposit mob, garden safe deposit, one last time. But being as old as they were, they didn't realise that these days there's all sorts of things that can catch you very quickly, like cameras everywhere and all sorts of things. So they got sprung. But the bit I like especially, because they talk about all of them, the various things, you know, they say at 76, the oldest member was Brian Reader, known by the others as the master or the governor. His criminal pedigree was undisputed. He did time in prison for handling some of the gold stolen in the Brinks Mat Raid of 83, a robbery so notorious that gangsters killed each other over the missing loot for decades afterwards. He was also the right-hand man of Kenneth Noy, a feared underworld figure who, among many other deeds, killed a flying squad detective. So... Some might say he wasn't that bad, therefore. But anyway, um, no, it's cruel. Uh, but this is the bit I really liked. Another old-time crook was Terry Perkins, who actually celebrated his 67th birthday in the basement of Hatton Garden Safe Deposit Limited, helping to clear out the safe in between insulin injections. <laughs> Three decades earlier, he had spent his 35th birthday on another Easter bank holiday job, the Security Express robbery in Shoreditch. And then the really incredible bit, John, reminded me of yep. you for some reason. Oh. There were certainly oh. times when the gang members' advanced years were a hindrance. This is the bloke who was the lookout. The, the, the lookout. Yep. John Kenny Collins, 75, described by his accomplices after the heist as wombat thick, fell asleep during oh, the burglary, oh, even, no. even though he was supposed to be the lookout. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? The, lookout, lovely. the lookout fell asleep. Thank you. So I'm wombat, wombat <laughs> thick and likely to fall asleep at any moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So there you are. That's right. a great story. Hey, um, there'll be a BBC series based on those guys starting next next year. It'll be new tricks all over again, except mm. it'll be the it'll be the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rachel yeah. Griffith's already saying she wants to make a film this year about Michelle Payne winning the Melbourne Cup. I mean, that's a bit soon, isn't it? Oh, a bit wow. sudden. Oh, but it was it yeah. was terrific though. It was terrific, but nonetheless, yeah. I mean, is it is it worth a film at this stage? Oh well, they've yeah. Named, well, they've well Rachel thinks so. Pardon? I think they've named a train after have they? Yeah. They have. Yeah. Train. Oh, bringing Speaking us back to trains, transport yeah. oh, on well. the transport show. <laughs> very good, Emma. Nice one. Yeah, they can't, very, they can't run good. many trains, but they've yeah. managed to name one. They can one. name yeah, them. Yeah. Name them. That's easy. Yeah. 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 I don't think yeah. they should make a movie glorifying the horrible horse racing industry, no, but Kevin disagrees. Um, you like to make regular donations. Oh, I certainly do. Yes. Yes, yes, regular donations. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um now, also, it's worth. I raised this just to. Um, anyone else got anything want to raise? By the way, I'm not oh, no, can, on please. Emma, really? do you have? We, not really. We wouldn't like to. First week back. Wouldn't want to stop your no. momentum, okay. Kevin. Oh, yeah, charging, charging. Well, it's been back. six bloody weeks. Um, <laughs> Broad Spectrum. Now, oh. anyone know who Broad Spectrum is? You all know, don't you? Mm-hmm. No. no. Is it a sunscreen? They used to be... Um, Antibiotic? Yes, you're onto it, aren't you? Those people. Yes. Transfield. Transfield. Oh. That's right. I love these vague business names. Yes. Weird well, rebranding. Yeah. Well, Transurban and, of course, tr- the, the company broke into two, Transurban and Transfield. Transurban runs the mm. freeways, etc., and, yep. and Transfield does the construction and all the other stuff. Yep. Um, some years ago, the Bon, bon- 
Ponchetto up in the name? Ponchetto right. family? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did what Grimes did. I think they split it up between the sons or whatever. But anyway. So um, who runs the torture camps? Um, well, this is this Transfield, lot. Transfield, Transfield, yeah. Transfield run them. This is the bit I like because bro- there's now a mob. Um, uh, Ferrovial and other companies are making a takeover bid for Broad Spectrum. Which the sensible thing is if you if you hit the the shit hits the fan and they're protesting about you all mm. the time, you just change your name and people might forget who you are. But I'm sure they won't forget who Broad Spectrum is for too long. And they're currently the contracts up for renewal at the moment. But all, the shareholders are saying because of the the, the value put on it by Ferrovial, they, they're asking all sorts of questions and they they public the the real value of the. Nauru and Manus Island contracts isn't public. That's one of those things that has to be secret. Apparently, mm, we oh can't yes. know how our money's being yes, spent yes. on, on, um, on, on um, torturing, babies? torturing people. Mm. That's right. Which just after we go up here today, we'll get a decision on incompetence. all that stuff. <laughs> well, no, no, we're saying it's the only company. I don't know why, but anyway, um, broad spec. So they're asking questions, but all the questions are about the value of the stock. No, um, no, no one at any point says maybe we shouldn't even be doing this. They're all oh. saying, you know, they're finalising the contract. The renewal is, is the largest single risk to the earnings outlook. Morgan Stanley analyst Nicholas Robeson said. Now he didn't mention the risk to the people they're looking. They're, they're not talking after. They're torturing. So the whole article talks about it purely in terms of what it's worth to the company and nothing about the social aspects of the whole bloody story. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's isn't outrageous. It? Yeah. Mm. You know, I wonder. Uh, you know, during the the German Nazi years, whether or not anyone was making money off of their torture camps. Yeah, well, they were. They must have been. American heavy. companies were, weren't they? they, yeah, were American, they were. Some of the big yeah. American companies were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The money, mm. the, the the dividends still got back to America via Switzerland. <laughs> there were things like um, General Motors, Opel, which is a general was even then a General Motors um, subsidiary. They they of course did very nicely over the Nazis. And uh, who else? There were others. Volkswagen? Well, they're German. To start oh, they're German anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but they're still but a private were, company. Was That's what I was asking. Oh, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Yeah. They couldn't make Coca-Cola in Germany during the war because they didn't have the ingredients, so they invented Fanta. Mm. Fanta was actually invented. It's Nazi entirely, Coke. It's entirely um, made of um, um, artificial ingredients, you know, chemicals mm. in other words. And uh, it was uh, invented during the Nazi <laughs> period and... And then Coca-Cola later spread it around the world mm. because it was no doubt very cheap to make and mm. Uh, mm. with a big profit margin. Hmm. Not that that would matter. They just want to help people get you know, feel yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. Of course. yeah with all sweat, sugar and stuff. Yeah. 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 And, of course, the other big event over the week, it was way back in early January, But the we've because you know, we've always admired the incredible mind of the minister who does put people in the concentration camps, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Who's Dutton. Who's that today? Peter okay, Dutton, Peter Dutton. Yeah, Peter Dutton. But, um, you know, Peter... Um, if there'd been a week that was that that week, it certainly would have been. He would have won the "Oops, maybe that's the wrong button" award of the week. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he did hit the wrong button and set off the uh, set off to the woman he was talking about the fact that he thought she was a mad effing witch, oh. <laughs> and uh, but, but because she attacked. Take but one of his colleagues. Ju- but being a news journalist, she took it in good part, you know, and thought it was, yeah, just, that's it was right. just between us boys and girls. <laughs> you know, and, of course, John, in the course of that, that emanated from the fact that Jamie Briggs had been knocked off for, again, sexist behaviour oh, as yeah. minister. Mm. Um, but uh, the interesting thing about Jamie Briggs was the day after he became Prime Minister, you might recall, we got a bit excited, almost excited, because uh, Turnbull announced he was appointing a new minister for cities. Oh. And that was Jamie Briggs, but between the announcement and his sacking, 
We yeah. hadn't heard from him. <laughs> he, no one has any idea what he was doing as Minister for Cities in the interim. Well, he was going uh, to Hong Kong. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, OK. okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. And molesting women. I'm having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you know. yeah. Using yeah. bars for what they're designed for, Kevin. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Is that anyway. is that the end? Yeah, probably. There's just one more. I've got. Right, I just right. noticed it in front of me here, and I might as well mention it while <laughs> yeah, it's here. Yeah. Uh, there was also a report that, believe it or not, seeing you know when thieves fall out, etc., um, they don't fall out. Even if they don't fall out, they don't quite trust each other. It's been pointed out that Britain and U.S. intelligence have been hacking into Israel's drone program. Mm-hmm. Why are they hacking? Uh, Why don't they just ask them? Well, they, don't, and, don't they fund nice. that program? Well, probably, yes, but don't, they'll probably give them to them too. But I oh, know Israel makes a lot of this stuff itself now. But anyway, Good, what's, self-sufficient. what's come out of it is that they're actually carrying uh, rockets and things um, and, um, and missiles and presumably they're actually using drones to fire on the Palestinian people. Mm, um, it's cheaper than sending which, a fighter plane, yeah. yeah. So Britain, US and Israel, which are th- the three, many, three of the big countries in the world who tell everyone else about human rights and civil liberties and everything else, are all the countries, well, we know the US is doing it in Pakistan and Afghanistan mm. and just <laughs> slaughtering people. Yeah. You, you kill them from a, a, a desk in Washington somewhere, in the, one, yep. one assumes, you sure in, in the Pentagon or somewhere. Um, and so Israel's doing it as well. So isn't that interesting to know? We'd, we'd probably be, wouldn't have thought they weren't doing it, but uh, it's been shown. Yes. There you are. Mm. Well, well that's, that's, that's put a dent on a damper on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, we can go back to the old blokes knocking off the thing and the bloke going to sleep and have a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, you're listening we'll to City next, Limits. Next week, Kevin. We'll okay. find a bank next week. On 3CR, 855 AM, 3cr.org.au. And this is a song called Black, Strong and Proud by Aracoon. That was Aracoon with Black, Strong and Proud. And you're listening to City Limits on 3CR, 855 AM, or maybe you're you're streaming from 3cr.org.au. Maybe you're listening on a digital radio. Or maybe yeah. you're just not listening, but then you, yeah. you, you can't hear that, no, what I just listening. said. That's right. That's like uh, public meetings when people say, can you hear down the back? <laughs> yeah. It's the most stupid question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. It's <laughs> <laughs> so the other comment, I just, I'm going to rave on now, but the, another comment that I find is unbelievable is people say, I can't wait for and mm. you can't. I mean, they say, I can't wait for the grand final. Now, they're not going to say, oh, seeing you can't wait, we'll play it today mm. for you. Mm. You know, mm. Um, mm. You've, got, you've, you've got no choice. You have to wait. I think so. you, of all people, would understand hyperbole. 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 Oh, dear. Hyperbole. I know all about hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can, I, can I just mention my little, my little annoyance because I don't get to mention it very often? Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the use of overstate and understate. You know, you can't, people say they can't, overst- you can't possibly overstate the importance mm. of this. Um, and there, there are many times when they, people say overstate when they really mean understate. Mm. Uh, yeah. and, and, and you find that annoying? Very. Oh, I'll remember I w- that. I w- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, m- it's more more used really in written mm. language than it is in mm. normal speech. But gee, it annoys me. So, you had an article. Hmm. Yes, we have it. Everyone's looking at it. Yep, people we've are been looking comment. at it. Yeah, and I, just before we get to that, because John might, we're going to ring John shortly, and we'll let John talk about this one as well. Um, yep. Yep. The there's an interesting article this month, John, um, you'll be pleased to know, um, mm-hmm. just relating it to us. China will invest 800 billion yuan, which is 176 billion of our dollars, 
in fixed assets in 2020, this year, in 2016, in ongoing efforts to expand its railway network. State-owned China Railway expects to boost passenger traffic by 10% and freight by 2% in 2016. And um, China Railway invested 823.8 billion won in last year, that's last year, on 9531 kilometres of new lines, including 3,306 kilometres of high-speed rail. It's rapidly expanded its railway network in recent years. Fixed um, asset investments reached 3.58 trillion won from 2011 to 2015, and about 30,500 kilometres of new lines were added. China Railway would try to win more contracts overseas this year, etc. But it's interesting that they're, I mean, I know they've got problems with roads as well, but they're spending heaps of money they on sure other are. stuff. Yeah. They're spending huge amounts on railways, and also in the rest of Asia too, they're not, not stinting. Mm. There's a um, new line being built south from Yunnan into Thailand and down to Singapore. Mm. That's that's going to be financed by the Chinese. And yeah, that's mentioned in that article. Actually. That'll be yeah. high, yeah. fairly high-speed freight and, and, and passenger rail, yeah. Mm. And everybody in Southeast Asia seems to think it's a good thing. And then lines, new lines into Pakistan, I think. And then certainly lots of upgrades of the lines going going um, west into um, Russia and, and the um, you know those um, Central European, Central Asian states as well. So basically, if you can get to the airport in Melbourne, for which yep. there is not a railway yeah, line, not a railway line, you can yep. fly to Asia and then you sweep. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. China, uh, China, Japan's probably still the best place. <laughs> Japan's probably the best place Good to go. Point. If you want to go, if you want to use rail everywhere, Japan's still your best bet. There you go. Japan's if amazing. you can get to Japan, yeah. Yeah. on the shuttle bus, on the shuttle bus, right. you don't miss your plane or anything. Right. On the other hand, Melbourne, at speaking of Melbourne Airport, has put in this new terminal for the low cost airlines, yeah. where some people have to walk up to two kilometres just to get. To the mm. to the entrance. That's not um, very disability friendly. A friend of mine came in last week and said it took her half an hour or something to walk. Yeah. To yeah. Uh, and then yeah. when she got there, because there was a plane that came in late at night, it was about the last plane for the night. Uh, turning the lights off. She couldn't <laughs> find the taxi rank. There were very bad signing, um, and uh, there were no staff around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's 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 mm. been designed as a low rent terminal for low rent airlines. That's for sure. Mm. You don't see that in Asia, I'm told. Even the low rent. Even the low rent um, terminals in Asia are of a good good quality, but here in Melbourne we know how how to make you feel low rent mm. when you travel um, Tiger or um, or I think even Jetstar's down there now. Mm. Yeah. 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 Look, let's get John Stone on the line and let's stick on a couple of these issues like the uh, the trains that seem to be wearing down the wheels and more particularly mm. John's research into the costs of yeah. privatised public transport. Let's. Okay. okay, well, um, you're listening to City Limits on 3CR. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM, and that was Mr Liff with the new man theme. Okay, and John Stone's on the line. We mentioned him earlier. He's um senior lecturer in transport up at Melbourne. And, John, you've got, uh, we've got John McPherson in the studio. We've got Emma Warren. You've got Cam um, Corey, whom you spoke to on the phone. You've got me. So it's a real little team here. Um, before, we're going to talk shortly because John's got some interesting information about the, um, the problems with V-Line. But before we get to that, you've done some research into the public transport system here. And given that it's been privatised, it's obviously a lot better, is it? 
silence. Clearly, no. I John. haven't pressed something. I should have. All right. mm. Let's try with on. Okay, we're yeah. going to. John, we've now pressed the correct button, I think. Can you okay. answer that question? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Well, of course it's better. I mean, privatisation is better for everything, isn't it? Yeah. We all know yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. But uh, what we did was try to look at what the data was available publicly about how much we were spending and what we were getting for our money. And you, your listeners won't be at all surprised to know that we've been spending a lot more and the rate of growth of expenditure is much faster than the rate of growth in service quality. <laughs> so, you know, so knock me over with a feather. But um, what's interesting is that where a lot of the money is going is into maintenance, uh-huh. so apparently. That's the biggest single item of, of growth and Clearly, it, there's a, an argument for spending more on maintenance and renewal because the system's old and it needs fixing up. So that's a, a pretty clear argument. But the problem is that we don't seem to be having the proper auditing of what that money is being spent on. So Metro is spending a lot of money on maintenance, but we're not seeing the measures publicly available of how much that's increasing reliability, how much track there are. Um, renewing, how much signal they're renewing, all of those things. So the problem with privatisation always is who's watching what the money gets spent on. And uh, when we continue to cut back the public sector and have all this confusion with PTV and all the different authorities, nobody's really looking to see what the money's being spent on. Right, PTV being Public Transport Victoria. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. Yes. Well, that's... that's, um Unsurprising, really. Um, so, just to clarify, the the amount of money the government is handing to the metro operators to do basic maintenance of what things like track signalling and um, yeah, and renovation the, of trains is is yeah. going up and up year by year. Yeah, but, but you'll be happy no... to see John and they're fixing fifty level crossings. Could we finish this? Sorry, sorry, first? mate. Oh, thank you, Corey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fairly fairly basic. A uh, bit of teamwork. So it just just to clarify, it's not they're, they're not providing information that is readily available that indicates actually how how many signals they've fixed or how much track they've repaired or or yeah, renovation exactly. of trains. Right, they, exactly. t- they're taking the money and saying, "Oh, goody, we'll um, we'll we'll use yeah. it we'll use it really well." But but there's no that there's no um, it doesn't oversight. appear to be anybody doing any of that auditing within yeah. PTV, yeah. and certainly no public re- public reporting of that. And so, uh, and then it, some of the money is going into that basic renewal, and some of it is going into new sort of new works to fix larger problems. Um, but right. how that? And one of the things that's interesting is that um, Metro makes most of its profit from projects that it does for the government, which is uh, why they're so, uh, so keen to be involved in things uh, like okay. um, the Cranbourne Pakenham yep, level yep. crossing removals and, and all of that work that they put up that unsolicited bid for before yes, the elect- election. that's right, yes. Oh, mm. Okay, so, so they're sort of projects on the side that they're doing in as well as their basic thing, which is supposed to be running a, a good, yeah. reliable public transport system. Yes. And then you get, when you, you know, um, get problems like V-Line have, with problems with their wheels, then Metro's able to say, no, really create a crisis in a way by saying, absolutely no, you can't come on our tracks. And, yep. uh, and there's no... And, 
Well, you can see there might be sort of a bid by Metro to say, well, actually, you know, we can fix this. Yeah. So um, the whole division of responsibilities and lack of clarity and lack of oversight is really uh, exacerbating problems that we have with um, the regional rail and the, the problems with the V-line wheels sure. yeah. causing such chaos at the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To the simple-minded, John, one you know the the big uh, metro also walks away at the end of the year with a huge profit out of all this. One, the simple-minded would say that's money that surely should be spent on the system, and in fact would would be if the public ran it themselves. Is that is that too simple? Well, the question is who's going to run it, and how do we get the expertise to to run it well? And uh, you know, we need to. Um, bring that expertise back into the public sector, either to oversee the contracts or to run it ourselves. But unless there's expertise within the public sector to be able to see what the the private sector are doing, then they get to call the shots. So the trouble is, too, in a way, you need two lots of experts if you run having a privatised system. The experts who work for the the private operator and then the uh, experts who can oversee... Yeah. Oversee. Yeah. Whereas well, if it's so. government run, presumably you only need one set of experts. Well, perhaps that's <laughs> perhaps, right. Yeah. Yes. But but um, <laughs> we certainly do need to have people who are directly responsible to the public being able to um, mm. oversee these systems. Yes. Would I be wrong if I thought that the people in the government who oversee these things tend just to be people who oversee the contract? Well, that's that's really what we've. We've we've done is, is we've run down the ability of the public sector to actually understand public transport management. Yes. Uh, so we have public transport operations. So we have people who are uh, there to tick the boxes in a contract. Mm. And uh, that's not and the then, same as really following how how well the operations going. No, and knowing and being able to deal with quickly things like the uh, current problem that we've got with V-Line. Mm. Mm. Yeah, got more to say, yeah. John. Go on. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I think I mean Kevin did raise the question of V line, and and we have to really think about you know what's caused that problem, and it's clear from you know, things in the age today and the stories that I'm hearing uh, from people in the industry that really it is a problem with uh, the regional rail link uh, and. It seems to be the problem of having some tight curves on 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 some parts of the regional rail link and then not enough lubrication of the wheels. Apparently, um, in the past, Metro provides lubrication of wheels at different points and the, if you've got metal on metal, you need some grease to stop the, that, that causing sort of friction and, and wearing out your wheels. So having separated V-line services from... Uh, the metro system by building parent, regional rail by building yeah. regional rail mm. uh, uh, we don't seem to be getting that um, lubrication of the wheels that seems to be the story that I'm hearing from mm. various players so why there wasn't uh, why that wasn't noticed and yeah. why that as soon as that wheel wear started to be apparent because it you know, if it's as serious as it is, you'd think that we would have had some warning bells some time ago if 
the fact that it's got to this point where you know, so many of the V-Line trains are out of service because of the problem and we're just going to have to throw a whole lot of money at it. Um, you know, but you see, again, you see, it comes back to privatising everything. Bombardier has the maintenance contract for the trains they built. Yes, but the problem really comes back to specifying the regional rail link. You know, you know, obviously, you would have thought if the trains are going to be running on separate mm. tracks, mm. then there'd need to be points where the lubrication is introduced into the system. You know, but but, but I just I just don't understand why Bombardier wasn't raising raising the issue earlier because if they were maintaining the trains, they should have noticed that the uh, yeah, trains well, were wearing down really fast back late last year. You know, well, I would have thought so. Yeah, and I mean, I think. The the problem is there's so many layers in here. You've got an authority whose job was to build the regional rail link, yep. reporting to government, signing off, getting their engineering awards, for, and yep. then walking away. Then they're yeah. walk, walking away. Yeah. Then the operators left with the problems that yep. come from yep. from poor yep. specification because of the it was despecified de- when it was built. It wasn't yes. built. Yes, yeah. and then you get mm. you've got all sorts of layers within layers between Bombardier, Metro, V-Line, the PTV, the government. Um, And, uh, you know, basically what people are wanting all over Melbourne is just things to work properly. (laughs) Well, we seem to be the masters of setting up authorities to do uh, a standalone project. Yeah, yeah, Um, and with the level crossings is... Now we can get to Corey and her level yeah. crossings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> well, on um, that, I mean, you mentioned about the bells not ringing, but this is one of the problems that occurred. The bells didn't ring when a train came through, and uh, um, that's one of the reasons they stopped letting them in, into the system, yeah, well, of that's, course. Um, yeah, that's a pretty... Yeah. It's well, rather, I would have thought not ringing the bell and storming through the uh, level crossings is a fairly serious problem. Yes, yeah, and so um, what is happening there, I don't, and, and how does it... Why isn't that working? And you know what? What is the relationship between Metro and V Line about fixing that? And who's you know that that's all stuff that's going to have to emerge in coming weeks and months, I guess. But if it ever emerges, uh, yeah. But there is a parliamentary inquiry, and I hope that um, you know people can get onto their local member to get them to be mm, making sure that point. some, some proper questions get asked and that answers get given. So. But um, coming to the, the level crossings, which, you know, the removal of the level crossings gets rid of those those problems and is, is a really good thing for running a, a rail system that you don't have to interact with the road system. So we do have now an authority whose job is to put in 50 level crossings over the next eight years or remove 50 level crossings over the next eight years. And that's a ma- massive task. We did some work recently looking at the historic removal of level crossings in, in, in Melbourne and you'd be interested to guess, John, can you guess how many we've removed in the last four, 100 years? Uh, 20? 40. But a lot less than the 50 that, right. uh, that we're planning yeah, to do yeah. in the next eight years. So yeah. we're setting ourselves a big task. How much does it cost to remove well, one? Well, it depends on what expensive? Quite well, expensive. Well, it, it is quite expensive, but there's some massive um, benefits for the, yeah. for the public transport system if yeah. you do it properly. Yeah. And that's the big question is making sure that it's done properly mm. but um, and you get some good stations out of it as well yeah yeah and whether, the, exactly. whether the train goes into a ditch or whether the train goes up in the air that's, yeah that's that well, question. It, yeah and you have to start 
thinking about it as a pro-public transport thing rather than simply removing mm. some yeah. obstacles for some cars. Well, then it becomes almost urban planning too. Yeah, well, exactly. it is, yes. But, yeah. but as trouble as a standalone authority is not necessarily going to be thinking about the broader picture. They're going mm. to be thinking well, about... Well, we've been working with them and they are showing signs of, of, of the big picture. So, <laughs> But um, it's really important that people think about... In any level crossing, what is it doing for improving the connections and the operation of the bus? Yes, yes. That, and can you get from the bus to the train? What are the opportunities for uh, cycling and pedestrian links? Because what's happening with the current way of doing level crossing removals, which is what people are expecting, is that the rail gets lowered and so you put the railway in a trench People expect then that you'll be able to build over the railway and um, and have all sorts of parks and, uh, and opportunities. But but the cost of putting a lid over a, a railway in a trench is is huge. So the places that do get bridged over are really going to only be the road and perhaps the station, mm. not not all the other things. And if you think of the gradient that a, a railway needs to go down and then up again, these trenches end up being quite long and they're mm. not tree-lined um, things like you see at Windsor or other places like that. They're vertical walls, suicide fences along the top. They're really ugly things. And they do separate the communities around these level crossings even more than um, existing railways do. People are losing pedestrian crossings across the, uh, the mm. railways in McKinnon and Ormond in the, the, the work that's being done at the moment. So... We've been looking really closely at what are the options and, and putting the railway up, surprising to many people, is actually the better option for, for railway operations, mm. for for creating connections. Yeah, the connectivity. Yeah. Yeah. If you do it well. Yeah. That's the, the big point. Mm. That, that was but, raised publicly a couple of weeks ago and it, it caused massive uproar from the people in the communities affected, screaming they didn't want this to happen to their Well, areas. some people are, but it's it's interesting to see that it was it was really a Liberal Party leak and a Liberal Party sort of scaremongering, you know. They were sort of saying it was a secret plan to put elevated rail. Well, nobody... Had a, has a plan for, for some of these new ones about whether it'll go up or down yet. That's something that's still being considered. All the Labor Party promised was that it would look at 50 mm. level crossing removals. So to say we're going to do it in a trench and now you're, you're giving us the cheap and dirty option of putting it up in the air is, is really Liberal Party scaremongering. Um, what you've what you really have to consider is what's the best option for public transport at these places. And um, if you think about where we have elevated rail in Melbourne now, um, just think of Glen Ferry or Balaclava or Canterbury. Mm. You know, some of the richest suburbs near railways lines have elevated rail running through them. Glen Ferry, it runs through a university mm. at Swinburne. And you don't see the people there clamouring to get their rail put in a trench. Mm. So you can do these things and you can deal with the noise and overlooking issues. You do the in cities across Europe and North America, they, they, they fix these problems. So, and you, and you get advantages for the railway in terms of its operation because it be, the braking can be helped as it comes into the station by having a bit of an incline and then it gets an efficiency boost 
of rolling out of the station at the other end. But if you're going to the downhill, mm. the reverse is the case. And so you actually add quite a bit to the cost of running the system. Um, there's a, a whole lot of reasons why um, elevated rail is something that we really need to mm. think very carefully about. And uh, my colleagues and I are, are doing some work on that, which we'll be releasing in the next few weeks, which is basically a checklist for the community and being able to say, is this a good option for public transport and our local community or not? Because you can bring the buses in right underneath the station yes, and things exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. Right up to it. Yeah, yeah so you can just have the escalator right there at the bus door. Yeah. Mm. And and you can also change the way the, the bus circulates around the, st- the streets. Mm. You, you notice a lot of bus routes have all these really weird uh, circulation patterns mm. which take them, mean they take ages to get in and out of a station. And if you've, you've got... Uh, um, mm. uh, Right, an elevated right. station, elevated you can go straight station. through under yeah. yeah. And the advantage is as the train pulls in, you can watch your bus leaving. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, fantastic, yes. Yes, well, we do have to do some coordination as well, Kevin, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Corey, what was your question back then? You, you were... I was just wondering what you thought about the, um, about the fixing of the level crossings. Right, and you have now answered that. Oh, good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It's, a, it's going to be a big challenge because basically what's going to happen over the next two years is, you know, it's, it's going to, we're going to be digging holes all over Melbourne and unless we really coordinate that and all we're going to have by the next election is people uh, very grumpy about disruptions in their local communities. So, it's urged uh, on by the Herald Sun, of course. Um, well, yes. But, uh, but on that, you've mentioned about the fact that we've done 40 and John, John being the usual pessimist, said 20. Um, but um, are you optimistic that we can get that number done in the time they've talked about? Well, I think so. I think, I mean, the other thing we have to start thinking about is thinking of them as, as things that you do as a, a corridor rather than individual Mm. Um, so, and we may have to revisit the list because the you know, the list of fifty isn't the list of fifty least safe crossings. That's right. Yeah. Or you know, so you know, we might juggle that list a little. Some bit, of them are quite political, in fact. Yeah. Well, it was the you know the Labor Party and the CFMEU coming up with a plan for jobs, which is fine, but when you start yeah. you know, applying some public transport planning to that, you know, where are the where do we have to get the best bang for our buck in terms of being able to improve the on-road priority for the buses, those sort of things yeah. Yeah. might change the list, but I mean, I think if, if we um, put our mind to it I mean, one of the things about having these authorities is they have this single focus on getting things done, but uh, as we're seeing with the regional rail link, you know, it has to be keyed into mm. operational questions and how you're going to the operators are going to to be able to use these best in the into the future. So um, there's a lot of work to be done, but um, I think you know the momentum is there to 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 do these things, and I think that's a, a, a good thing, and people should should get behind it mm. so long as it's being done well. One of my uh, favourites that I'm so pleased is on the list is Reservoir. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, because you've got that extraordinary... Um, the, the train goes through this sort of weird road, road network in the scene. Yes. I can't, yeah. I'm, I'm it's having chaos trouble. around there. I'm, and it's I'm really, trouble even yeah. describing it as a pedestrian. Of course, yeah. it's, it's like crossing a sort of <laughs> battlefield. And it splits Reservoir in half. Yeah, The yeah. two sides are really yeah, disconnected. Yeah. Mm. 
Yes, and Reservoir yeah, could be a much better mm. urban uh, urban hub if it was mm. um, done properly. Yeah, so if we, if these things are done with public transport operations, uh, urban design yeah. as the um, really key motivators, and mm. that the community really gets active in understanding those issues and making sure that the results actually sort of mm. meet mm. those needs. Yeah, getting local it, council on board as well. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's. I mean, local councils have done quite a lot of work about you know, you know how they might develop these stations yeah. around these stations, and then there's the question of you know what sort of um, housing development or commercial mm. development you yes. might get around them, and what do the local residents think about that, and yeah, yeah. how do we get some quality into the sort of infill development? But that's a, a topic for another time. Yeah, definitely. I think. Lots of potential, though. Yes, yes. I think we have to see them as as really city-shaping things. In fact, Definitely. in some cases, some ways, even more important city-shaping than the Melbourne Metro because mm. it's going to be about how we interact with our suburban stations, which is um, absolutely central to yeah, the public yeah. transport future. Definitely. Well, I, 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 as you might know, John, I'm... I'm very sceptical about the value of Melbourne Metro, certainly when it's costed at something like $11 billion. It, um... Did we pull Corey, you had something on. Was that on crossings? Uh, no, no, no. We, we what John's that. saying is fine. Yeah. No. We, we covered that, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, Melbourne Metro seems to me to have been something that, it's, that, that has been produced from sort of secret, um, secret planning, you know, within the department. And yeah. it's never been exposed to proper public, um, public. No, exactly. And I think you know the, that's something that's bedevilled transport planning yes. in Melbourne for a long time. And we, you know, by a chain of fortuitous political circumstances, we got three billion dollars on the table to yeah. build the regional rail link. But yeah. there was never any consideration of whether three billion dollars spent mm. there was the best way to spend yeah. money in in Melbourne. And similarly with Melbourne Metro, um, you know, and uh, you know, what there has never been a sort of what problem is it trying to fix? That's right. And, That's right. Know, and, mm. it's sort and, of it's sort of turned into a sort of a glamour pro- project. Yeah, with and, stars and, and spangles, it's, it's a, and, it's and, it, and it's it's in a way you can't blame the state politicians and the agencies because that's the way uh, money for projects is doled out at yeah, the yeah. federal level. You have to have the project which is essential. So you have to build a case that nothing else can happen until you get Melbourne Metro. Mm, mm. And, and, you, and you go for the big project even though there might be a much more simple solution to the same yeah, problem. Yeah, well, if you... And the, the question of capacity in Melbourne's rail system mm. is not so much about tracks through the city it's about signalling and yep. <laughs> uh, and that that's the thing that um, will, so they'll get to the end of Melbourne Metro and say well actually we can't get all those trains in until we do the signalling system so Well it's the uh, same at the outer end of Melbourne Metro <laughs> yes, You yes. know they, they, they've got this they're going to have this extra capacity but it's going to be sort of, sort of semi-isolated because yes, they won't yeah, be able to when, get the trains to the end of it yeah, we're not going to have the links at North Melbourne and South Yarra, which mm. um, any network planner would sort of sure. put as central. central. Yeah. yeah, so there's a, there's a whole lot of questions there, but actually, you know, I think the, that that's why I think um, getting the potential, unlocking the potential through the level crossings, and then and also through things like um, the public transport.
transport, not traffic's proposals for um, reorganising Melbourne's bus system yeah. to take advantage of that sort of thing. Those are the sorts of things which will make much more difference to people's lives in the, mm-hmm. in the suburbs than, than the Melbourne Metro. Absolutely. Is this, uh, by the way, back to where we started in this conversation, is there, is there a blurred line somewhere in all this in terms of money being spent by the government on this and the fact that Metro runs the system? Is, is, is that likely to be a problem? To the money on, on well, the... Well, in terms, of, in terms of all this government money being spent, but it's going to be run by a private company. Well, what I think where the problem lies there is that you've you aren't getting the sort of planning expertise into thinking about what what timetable do you want to run. If yeah. you think about mm. how you how you get the best bang for your buck, and you follow the Swiss example, they start with the, the timetable that they want to run in twenty or thirty years, mm. and they say, "Look, we're not we haven't got that down to the last minute. You know, we're not being completely anal and Swiss about this. It's you know, it's, it's not, no. but we only know that basically, yeah, only a little bit. But we've basically got the timetable we want to run, and um, now what is the infrastructure we need to to get that? And because things are in state control and the planning processes are integrated up from the city to the region to the the, the federal government, then the money that gets spent is actually on projects which deliver that timetable. And so, mm. you know, that that sort of planning system is much more difficult to do in the sort of fragmented um, arrangements that, that we have in Melbourne at the moment. So, yeah, I think the the, the way we've got a prioritised system does, Kevin, does does cause problems for, for the way we plan. But, I mean, I don't know if you agree, John, but arguably... The money needs to be spent big time on bus networks in Melbourne, even more than it does on the rail networks. Yeah. I think well, we're going to have to talk about that next week. Yeah, We've, can you yeah. just give me a couple Buses of couple of week. couple of word answer there? <laughs> All right. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're running out of time, but the answer is probably yes. Thanks, John. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was a one-word answer, John. Well done. Uh, look, John, thanks for your time. And then you mentioned you're going to have the other report ready in a few weeks. We might come back and have a look at that about the level yeah. crossings, etc. Yes, yeah. we'll, we'll certainly get that out to people and let you know that when that. It's all ready to go. Terrific. Okay, thanks, mate. So that was John Stone from the University of Melbourne. You're listening to City Limits for another two minutes. And what are we going to talk about next week? Next week, Emma's actually, Emma's Emma's lead counsel next week. Ah, cool. Yeah, so um, my friend Mark is coming in and he runs a group called Planning, um, Permaculture and Population. Um, I think he's talking at the Sustainability Festival coming up. Um, and yeah, he runs workshops and Fantastic. we can have a chat to him. Great. Yeah. All right. So tune okay. into that. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM, maybe 3CR.org.au. Okay. And, and I want John and Emma to thank Corey for keeping us on the air pressing buttons. <laughs> thank you, Corey. <laughs> That's all right. And, and thanks thank for coming for on the show. We also had um, John McPherson, uh, our regular public transport expert. So this is September Song by Leah Flanagan. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.